2020 is just about over, and I wanted to take a moment to thank everyone that stuck with the Force 5 podcast this year. I started this podcast to talk about movies with friends and strangers, and I've been overwhelmed by the amount of growth it's seen over the course of its first 25 episodes. I wanted to give a shout out to my friends and early test subjects, Moose and Tots. They've supported me and listened every step of the way. And I also wanted to give special thanks to my wife. Without her encouragement, time, and support, this podcast simply wouldn't be possible. Sincerely, thank you. For the final episode of the year, I got Lewis Logic on the show. He's one of my favorite artists of all time, and he picked a really interesting topic that naturally ran a little long, so I've split this episode up into two parts. One more time, thank you for listening, and enjoy the show. One, or two, or three, or four, but five, force five. Welcome to the Force Five podcast, a show where I force my guests to come up with a top five list, and then we talk about our picks on air. I'm your host, Jason Kleberg, and today my guest is one of my favorite artists, Louis Dorley. In addition to his amazing solo rap career as Lewis Logic, he's also been a part of the Demigods, his surf rock hip-hop band Sport Kills, and most recently, half of the indie pop project Toy Friend. How's it going, Lewis? I'm fantastic. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I actually just realized when you introduced the podcast what the name Force 5 means. Yes. I, I, well, The Force <laughs> part wasn't really apparent to me like when you asked me to do it. <laughs> But yeah, I suppose that's true. It's not like we're going to get to talk about whatever I want. Love the concept, though. So excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. It's actually a double entendre, too. So not only am I forcing you to come up with a five list, but it's also a reference to Pulp Fiction with the Fox Force 5, my favorite uh, movie of all time. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, awesome film. I, I used to actually have a, a bootleg of it when I was in college that had a bunch of fuzz and stuff flipping through the screen, almost like VCR tracking that just wouldn't go away. And <laughs> I had it before the movie came out for public purchase. Mm. I don't even know where I got it, but I, I watched that thing every single day <laughs> yep. for, for the year or two between when Pulp Fiction was in theaters and when it was released as a DVD and VHS, because back then that's how long would, would elapse between like a big movie and it's released for purchase, like at least a couple of years. And I watched it every day. I'm not even kidding. Every single day. I used to know all the words. Oh, I bet if you turned it on now, you'd still probably know 75% of the words if you're like me. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I do have one of those weird memories. I, I would remember the vast majority of it. How's the pandemic treating you? I know everybody's cooped up right now. How's life been different for you? I hate to say this because it's so cliche and also runs counter to the horror show that is 2020, but things have actually been better for me this year than the outside conditions would suggest, which is to say I have a 21 month old son and I got congratulations to, by the thank way. Thank you so much. Um, his name is dash. I got to watch him go from uh, stumbling around, like barely being able to let go to running and jumping and climbing onto my coffee table and screaming <laughs> and repeat singing 
the part of Bohemian Rhapsody where Freddie goes, Mama. So he'll do that with me. Oh, it's awesome. It's so funny. Aside from that, like my wife and I are as closer, closer than we've ever been because of the the proximity and in a good way. Like we actually haven't really had uh, any serious fights during the, the pandemic. And for the most part, just ended up bonding over the shared experience of raising this uh, increasingly doppelgangerish little person in, in our house. He's really starting to look like me, which is mind boggling for me because I was adopted when I was a baby. My, my family's all white and I'm biracial. So there's no one in my family who looks like me. Um, so when he came out, that's the first time I ever saw a blood relative or met one. And, you know, he was like a shapeless, mushy little cream colored ball when he came out. <laughs> and now he's really starting to look like me. It's freaky. Um, but it's it's also awesome. Like this little insane, irrational version of me just running around causing mayhem in our house. I, I've honestly had like a pretty awesome time during this. And I've been writing and making music and hanging out with my family and just trying to stay safe in, in these maddening times. Um, and that has proven to be a, a pretty rewarding, pretty wor- rewarding experience to my surprise. Dash Dorley, it sounds like he could have his own TV show, like a, as a little detective. I wish I could take credit for it. His mom came up with the name after a, a neighbor of ours who, whose name was Dash L. Um, but we just shortened it to just dash now he has like a superhero origin story name from your uh rap career you know there's a ton of movie references in there and a lot of cinematic tracks storytelling tracks like a perfect circles one that i always go back to that i think would be amazing just filmed as short form thanks man what are some of your favorite movies of all time aside from pulp fiction i'm i'm really into horror and sci-fi uh and being a horror and sci-fi fan, especially if you like super high quality stuff, is like being a fan of a sports team that always loses. There's so <laughs> so few like incredibly high quality, like serious with the material horror and sci-fi films. And then like a litany of silly, like straight to Blu-ray cheesy like netflix only when you get like deep into the scrolling horror and sci-fi films and tv shows there's like so much of that uh, so i really value like incredible classic ones so exorcist is obviously like a, a huge favorite of mine i actually used to watch it on tour to go to sleep at night and my old tour dj and producer uh, bandmate jj brown hated touring with me because of it so you'd wake up in the <laughs> middle bet. of the night and like roll over it and see Reagan's like charred up face and her being like, let Jesus fuck you. And he'd be like, dude, <laughs> it is impossible to sleep next to you. But for me, it was like comforting because it was one of my favorite movies. So when I missed home, I would put my laptop next to the bed at the hotel room and put on the exorcist. I miss home. I just want to see a spider walk. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I love it. So good. I don't know why they cut that out of the original cut. Like it was honestly one of the coolest parts of the reissued version with all the extra footage. Oh yeah. Um, It's terrifying. So awesome, man. Clearly massive shining fan. I mean, how could you not be if you're into horror and then for sci-fi major, major close encounters of the third kind fan. Um, And 
that's going to come up later in, in our discussion. I don't know if I'm supposed to be giving a top five here, but these are just movies that I, I absolutely adore that I've watched like a, a million times. Sure. Poltergeist is another one that I'm just completely gaga over. Blade Runner is another um, sci-fi one that just really does it for me. And then for like slightly more to more modern films, uh, Fight Club, like really, really close place to my heart. Such an awesome movie. Seven, I also felt the same way about that. Fincher's track record is really strong. He's, he's got so much oh, yeah. good stuff. I really loved... Uh, the Denis Villeneuve film uh, Arrival. Uh, super, super cool sci-fi movie that uh, was inventive and original and uh, really thrilling and and also had some real gravity to it, which I appreciate stuff like that. Like I said, just like taking genres that end up with lots of silly stuff in them and making something that you, you would see like sitting right next to all the weird ass shit that ends up winning Oscars. So I, I, I like stuff like that. Um, I liked contact a lot. I thought that was an awesome sci-fi flick. When you watched arrival, were you a father already or was this pre fatherhood? Pre fatherhood. I challenge you to watch it again now. Oh, I've been, will, I've been watching yeah. it again. Yeah. It'll hit you a completely different way. Oh, definitely. And, and it's funny you should say that because another thing that we're going to talk about later is TV shows. And um, there was an HBO show recently uh, with Jason Bateman in it, The Outsider. And mm-hmm. the start of the show, like it shook me to my core um, as as a new dad. And I was like, oh, it's so weird watching stuff like this now. Like I'm, I have a hard time with it. And historically, like I've been unflinching uh, in my ability to watch stuff that, you know, other people might find off-putting. I, I could eat a roast beef sandwich in, in a room while someone's doing an open heart surgery I'm not a squeamish person, but fatherhood has definitely changed me. Actually, I saw, um, what was that fucking stupid ass movie? Midsummer, <laughs> And I hated it. I was so off put by the gore in it. I was like, Ugh, this is fucking gross and stupid. And why did this have to happen in slow-mo in super broad daylight lighting? Yuck. Fuck this movie. <laughs> um, and like Lewis Point One did not care about stuff like that. Like completely unfazed. I think between sobriety and fatherhood, like I've gotten a little more sensitive about shit like that. And like, I, it's, it's off putting to me. That said, I still loved hereditary. That movie was fucking rad, man. So creepy and cool. I like being creeped out, man. And like mom crawling around on the ceiling and shit. Like, Oh, so awesome. We're going to have to uh, disagree on Midsummer Cause I thought it was brilliant. Oh, you loved I also, it. Uh, I, yeah, I, did, I, I did. I did. I didn't like it at all. I didn't like it. The only parts of it that I liked were just like the slow build and like, you know, the uncomfortability. That yeah. stuff I loved. The gore part was so off-putting to me. I was like, boo, this ruins the movie for me. And then like the end of it, you know, they gave you more of that. Um, so that kind of wrecked it for me. That said, I remember going to see the Evil Dead remake and having a really fun time watching it, even though that movie is like, absurdly obnoxiously over the top cartoonishly gory oh then again though that one was really silly midsummer was not very silly like the gore in it was realistic to the point that i was like i don't know if i really want to watch people just get completely mushed it was a movie that had me kind of looking away at parts yeah that was unpleasant man it was so realistic i was just like boo 
Boo. I'm not. If I saw this in real life, I would be so bent out of shape, upset. <laughs> it's like a brain stain that you can't get rid of. And the, the special effects were really commendable in that film um, to the extent that it actually kind of ruined the movie for me. Cause I was like, I can't handle this. This is fucking gross. I'm guessing that Ari Aster would probably take that as a compliment. Yeah, no, I'm sure he would. And, and I think he really did achieve what he set out to do. So to that end, my hat's off to him. I just appreciated it more when the force of his filmmaking came from a psychological build that almost put you in the mind state of the characters where you were like, feeling crazy um and didn't didn't have tricks in it like you know a a gore scene so realistic that you were like i cannot unsee that and like thinking about it days later i appreciate you sharing those movies normally at this point we do kind of like a what we've been watching thing but we're gonna hold off on that this time because i feel like we have a lot to cover we do we do i said hey lou come on the show we'll talk top five lists and you sent me back a litany of top five lists and said, hey, pick your favorite five from these top five lists. And we're just going to talk about five different top five lists. Yeah, exactly. So in my conception of this, Lewis's top five list is actually a discussion of Jason Kleberg's top five picks from all of my favorite top five lists. <laughs> um, and so the top five that you picked were Top five 80s teen comedies, top five presumably unintentionally homoerotic 90s rap lyrics, top five Arnold Schwarzenegger one-liners, top five current HBO shows, and top five protagonist falls from grace that result in that protagonist spending all day in a robe, which I I love shit like that in films, just like uh, symbolism that happens in a lot of movies, but that people don't generally discuss as like, a common motif. It was definitely uh, some interesting picks for all of these. Which one do you want to cover first? Because we got a lot to go through and I got a lot of cool stuff to talk about. Why don't we start with the rap one? Because I, I found myself actually, to my surprise, like lacking a little bit in that one. So maybe you can jump in and cap it off. After that, like I can really run. So I've got some favorites uh, from classic presumably unintentionally homoerotic rap lyrics. Nice. I think what I'll do is I'll count down from number four to number one for me. And, and I'm, I'm missing one because I, I actually thought I remembered more of these than I did. Um, so number four then in that case was on a granddaddy IU song that I spent all day trying to Google and could not find uh, the specific title of the song, but there's a lyric in it where he says, I came to to blow and keep my pants sagging low, which I love because of the the like scene setting in that line. Like it sounds like like an enticement to to somebody who might be really interested in getting blown and then possibly fucking another man. So not only did I did I come here to suck dick, but for your information, my pants are also sagging quite far off my ass providing you with like a nice easy access point i love that line for that quality because it, it it's like a two for one homoerotic rap lyric and i'm sure that's not at all what he meant i'm pretty sure he was just saying like you know i'm definitely going to be famous in a way that you can't comprehend and I, and I just happen to be like a guy who dresses like your typical hip-hop uniform 
Um, that's not how I took it. When I heard him say it, I was like, wow, <laughs> I guess, I guess, uh, you didn't decide to share the, the written content with anyone before you track this. Maybe somebody might've noticed. Oh, there's a couple on my list where it's like nobody in the booth or nobody in the studio told you this might not be a good line to say. Yeah. Yeah. My, my number one is like one that I'm like, dude, how, how did nobody interrupt for number three, big pun. You ain't a killer. When you awaken, your manhood will be taken, which is just such an awesome line because it's not only homoerotic, but it's also like an admission that like you intend to rape another man. I'm pretty sure that's not at all what Big Pun had in mind when he when he wrote that lyric. I feel like what he was trying to say is like, I'll knock you out. Exactly. And then when you wake up, you're going to feel like such a sucker because you got so humiliated by the fashion in which I knocked you out. Um, again, not at all the way I, I read that. And it makes me wonder, like, had anybody asked him about this? So that's my number three. For number two, and this is a classic one. Like, if you don't bring this one up in a list of presumably unintentionally homoerotic 90s rap lyrics, then to me, like, you're missing, like, one of the, the cornerstones of this entire top five list concept. The classic second round knockout cannabis line um, mm -hmm. in response to LL. Uh, you ain't got the skills to eat a nigga's ass like me. And I'll, I'll handle the N-word part for you. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. I yeah, appreciate that. Sure, no doubt. I heard that the first time and was just like, come on, man. Seriously. Maybe it was just like a brazen thing. Like he was just like, this is how dope I think I am. I'm going to say a diss to you that is so plainly flatly on its face homoerotic in an era of rap music where homoeroticism was like really deeply frowned on. Oh yeah. Um, to the extent that there was all kinds of speculation about who the gay rapper was as if there's only one, there's probably tons of gay rappers or bisexual rappers uh, or rappers who wouldn't classify themselves as any of those things, but who had definitely had experience with other men. That's probably rampant in 90s rap music. And you just don't know about it because back then nobody would cop to that. Yeah, it's just like sports. Yeah, it's like a career ending thing. Um, these days it's changing. It's like I really admire that about the new generation. Like these kids don't give a fuck. Yeah, I'm glad. I, yeah, it's awesome, man. They just own who they are. And, and I wish that in my era of hip hop, things were different in that way. Um, we had a little leading conversation before we got to this in which I told you about like all my musical experimentation that, that kind of made me an outsider and rat. And for years, like the big criticism of me for my sense of musical adventure was that I was secretly gay. Hmm, I never heard that. Oh man. Just Google it. Just Google Lewis logic and the F word and you'll find plenty of it. And, and to me, I, I always wanted to say like, I, that's not a diss. As far as I'm concerned, like every gay guy that I'm friends with is cooler, smarter, more successful, more stylish, and just generally better than like most of my straight friends. No like, doubt. The insinuation that you think of me as gay in any way, in my mind, is a compliment. And besides, like who told you that I'm not gay is kind of how I always felt, felt about it. Yeah. But all that to say, because it was such like a weird subject in 90s rap music, like most listeners, I was super sensitive to things that rap artists would say that might have come off as homoerotic, even if they didn't mean it. 
And, and sure. so with, with that last little intro, um, my number one lyric, and this is my favorite because I don't know how many people were actually up on this one, uh, was a Red Man lyric in which he said, um, I got a big dick and a Tic Tac in my mouth. I got that on my list too. Yes. Awesome. It's such a good line uh, b- because of the ways that it could be interpreted. And I used to sit there like drunk and stoned with my buddies and like crack up about that line and be like really literal in my di- dissection of the meanings, you know, like it- it's so easy to interpret as uh, there's a list of two things in my mouth currently. <laughs> one of them's a Tic Tac. The other one is a big dick. Um, easily my favorite unintentionally, presumably unintentionally homoerotic nineties rap lyrics. And I'm convinced that Redman had no idea how that sounded. And and I don't say that to suggest that Redman isn't possibly gay, gay adjacent, bisexual, or has never had a homoerotic encounter. I don't know about that. Maybe he has. Uh, but I doubt that he thought that lyric was going to come off the way it did to me as like a young rap fan. It's funny that you say that because we had conversations just like that where we were wondering, is there a comma in that sentence? Because the yeah. actual lyrics is like, I got Tic Tacs in my mouth with a big dick. And it's like, okay, is there a comma after mouth? Because yeah. if not, I mean, he's got two things in there and that's fine. It's so good. It's so good. I actually like it in all ways. I like the Homer erotic interpretation of it. And I like the, uh, the braggadocious juvenile, you know, rap sense of it too. That's just a great line all around. And it's kind of a deep cut too. I, I was on one of those funk flex mixtapes, which had like 60 different tracks. Oh yeah. Wow. That's so funny. I forgot that that's where that was. Uh, it's just called freestyle and i think it's on funk flex volume two and it's always stuck with me too and i bought that because it had so many different rappers on there and back then cds were like 20 bucks so it's like okay i gotta get this cd because it's got so many of my favorite rappers on here i think that's how i got it too sam yeah just like oh man how, how am i gonna pass this up it's like every rapper that i love in one place with with material that i've not heard before and it was like 20 bucks for a, a CD with 12 tracks or 20 bucks for a CD with like 50 tracks as a kid. It's like, well, you got to go with the one that gets you more tracks. Hell yeah, man. So funny. It's, it's really great to be talking to you about this because I didn't remember that that's where that came from. <laughs> yep. I spun that countless times on my little CD player back in the day. All right. Can you top me off with a, with a, a number five? Because I, I actually forgot like a fifth favorite. I, I know I had more of these at one point because I used to actually write them down because I was so amused by them. Well, guess what? I got six. So ah, between that, us, yeah, we're going to have it. 10. So that, that works out. Let's hear it. I'm going to start with like, I think one of the all-time classics, and this is going to make it probably on every list you're going to find online. And it's from the Notorious B.I.G. You look so good, I'd suck on your daddy's dick. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That is a good one. Yeah, and I know it's a it's a uh, it's a play on a Richard Pryor bit, but I don't think that a lot of listeners knew that at the time. So, oh shit! Wow, this is the second time in this conversation you're bringing up something that like I was aware of both things, but I never drew the connection between them. Wow, that's so funny. And Big is you know very late '90s. I guess it really just shows the confidence of Big because clearly he knew what he was writing. Yeah, I mean, that's probably the only reason why that's not one of the ones I would have thought of in my old list, because, you know, like what I was really into was trying to collect ones 
where I thought the rapper didn't notice that they had done it. Not like bizarre saying I fucked my cousin in his asshole, <laughs> you know, which is like, obviously he knew what he was saying was homoerotic and, and Biggie knew the same. I think that was just him. Like you said, being like, bitch, you know who I am. I can say whatever the fuck I want, even something like wildly homoerotic and you will not judge me as anything less than gangster. Yep. And he did. He had a couple, but uh, that was my favorite of his. The next one kind of falls more in line with what you're thinking, where they just don't know that it sounds that way. And it's from <laughs> my neck of the woods. From the loonies, I got five on it. I take sacks to the face whenever I can. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. I think that used to be on my list. That's so good. I forgot about that one. Oh, my God. It's awesome. And, of course, their theme of the song, it's about smoking weed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Oh but weed God, so in good. itself, when you think about lyrics in that deal with marijuana, you talk about things getting sticky, you talk about sex, like it just, it sounds homoerotic. Oh yeah, it really lends itself to it. That's so good, man. What a good one. I can't believe I forgot that. This next one, again, falls into that same category. And this one's from Craig Mack off of, I think the track's called Making Moves with Puff. Oh yeah, that beat was dope. I remember that song. He says, I got MCs melting in my mouth, but not in my hand. Mm. Yeah, no kidding. Asking for it. I'm guessing he wasn't trying to say that he doesn't give hand jobs, but he does give blow jobs. (laughs) (laughs) And as I sit here and I look at the lyric, like, I don't really know what he was trying to say. Oh, God. I I love your interpretation of it because it, it suggests that melting is a euphemism for coming or like losing your heart on. Really exactly it could be either one. Oh, it's great i've never been sure what he's trying to get across there i wish my best friend christian were listening to this conversation right now i, I gotta direct him to this podcast when it comes out that's so fucking good yeah see if he can uh give us some a different interpretation all right two more left so this one we're going back to the west coast i don't know how to take this one it's from dr dre and it's another famous one he's speaking about easy e and he says gap teeth in your mouth so my dicks gots to fit yeah, what was he thinking with that? I mean, there was already a lot of speculation about him being gay. Not only that, but if you look at the gap in Easy es mouth, it's yeah, not it's real big. So obviously we know that he's trying to say he would make Easy his his bitch in a sense, as the whole song was about that. But Not a great braggadocious line. No, no, not a good one. The last one on here, this is probably my most confusing that I've ever heard. It's off the 1997 Camp Low album. I'm a big Camp Low fan. Mm. This lyric is off of the song Black Connection. And it's. Oh, yeah, that's a great song. It is a great song, but it's got a very confusing lyric about halfway through when um, I think it's Ch- uh, Sonny Chiba. He says, I don't understand what the fuck is up with my man. He eat a bowl of hot cock. Wow. I don't remember that at all. Really? It says that? And it's right after Geechee Suede finishes his verse. And I've looked it up to make sure that I was that not mishearing it. Is perplexing. Yeah, that's that's an awesome list, man. I'm fucking totally nonplussed about that Camp Low one. That's amazing. It's weird. Yeah, it's weird. And I'd love to know what they were thinking with that one. Yeah. Now, if you're listening and, and you're thinking this doesn't have anything to do with movies, you're right. But it was just so ripe on the list that like, I had to talk about it because I don't get the chance to do that very much. Just talk about rap music, which I love. So Yeah, well, I mean, I'm a rapper, so I figured, you know, why not introduce some of the hip hop stuff to into this concept of the top five lists? Um, okay, so next 
Why don't we do Arnold Schwarzenegger one-liners just because I wanted to kind of work up to the more esoteric lists. So I'll start with number five for me. And obviously if, if you've ever seen an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie or, you know, if you're alive, like you, you've definitely seen one. They're chock a block with really, really silly double entendres and puns that he always delivers like straight faced before he does something horrible to another person. His 80s and 90s movies were really just built around his one-liners, I feel. Yes, absolutely. Categorically true. I agree. Um, and some of them are, are just so disturbing. One of the things that really gets left out in discussions of Arnold's 80s and 90s films and his one-liners uh, is how sociopathological his character is. That he's like murdering people and then <laughs> making straight-faced deadpanned pun jokes to them at, as they that's die. That's I've never thought of. But it's really yeah, that's dark. so disturbing. It is. That's one of the reasons why I like this list so much because, you know, buried in the subtext of this very conversation is this idea that Arnold's characters that he plays in movies are so fucked up from a moral level that while they're murdering people without smiling or anything, they just deliver these awful dad joke level puns it's it's insane um so starting with uh my least favorite and working my way to my favorite number five bennett in commando gets killed when arnold throws a pipe that he pulls off of a wall uh that's still somehow full of steam <laughs> into this this character and and mind you bennett is such a weird villain Cause he's like flabby and out of shape and, and looks like he's almost 50 and Arnold is like veins everywhere. He's so jacked and, and shredded. It's so weird. Like the people that they used to pair him up against as a villain. And he has like a weird, like English Australian ish accent, just a non intimidating villain on its face. And somehow in, in the eighties, like I didn't even notice that like how corny a villain he was like, are you familiar with the tone, the term bogan bogan? No, I know you're familiar with the, the U S terms, um, hillbilly or, or red. Oh yeah. Yeah. A bogan is the Australian equivalent of the word redneck or hillbilly. Um, and that character looks like a classic Australian bogan guy, like kind of white trashy lives in like an outbacky deserty area and drinks like really cheap lager all day and, and like kills stuff. Uh, so it's just weird. Like Arnold's having this big end of the, the battle fight with like a drunk white trash Australian dad. I always thought that was super strange. And then he throws the pipe into him and says, let off some steam Bennett. And, and he makes sure to say the guy's name to him. Yeah. Like, at the, at the end of the one liner. It's so good. Uh, and that one's at my top five because Arnold's one-liners are so plentiful and awesome that even a line that good and that stupid is still at number five for me. Number four is actually a bit of an exchange also from Commando. Um, that creepy actor uh, who played the leader of the gang in the Warriors, like the villain gang, I think his, his character's name is Sully in Commando. Um, and he drives like a little yellow Porsche. Arnold tells the guy 
in a scene where Arnold is is prone and like not in control of the situation, when I get out of here, like I'm gonna remember to kill you last. <laughs> and then he he catches the guy like really early on in the movie, like basically when his revenge tear first starts, um, a- after Alyssa Milano gets taken, and he holds the guy up by one leg and asks him, "Hey, Sully, remember when I promised to kill you last?" And the guy's like, yeah, that, that's right, man. You did. And he's like, I lied. And then he just drops him. So good. You remember, Sally, when I promised to kill you last? That's what made you. You did. I lied. Classic line. Yeah, the setup is amazing. It, it has like the, the classic joke format punchline style. It's so sinister. And uh, the fact that it's delivered in like a joke format. Um, makes that one real gold to me. So that's my number four. Number three, and this one is like a sillier one, uh, but it's just so funny, like the delivery of it, that that it's on my list. The scene where Arnold arrives in the big city in Twins, having grown up on this idyllic island setting, like really naive about the world around him, where a guy on a bike tries to steal a briefcase from him, and then gets yanked off of it because Arnold is so strong, despite the velocity that he had on, on the bike. And it throws him backwards and he cracks his skull on the pavement. And onlookers are like, what'd you do to him? And Arnold says, I did nothing. The pavement was his enemy. <laughs> I love that line. It's, it's like got a weird Mr. Spock kind of logic to it. Um <laughs> to not like recognize that some guy just split his head open on the sidewalk and just be like the pavement was his enemy. Uh, and this is one of my favorite things about Arnold one-liners. Like I said, he's a sociopath. Like he doesn't seem to recognize the gravity of these situations when he delivers these things, his character that is. So that's my number three uh, for number two. Uh, and, and this one is my favorite just for the sheer absurdity of the scene after completely loathing the character of Richter for 70% of the film total recall, you finally get to see a standoff and yet again, another encounter between Arnold and like a late 50 something year old out of shape guy. Um, It's like how he keeps getting paired up with these people as his rivals is beyond me. There's the elevator scene where Richter is like clinging on for dear life. And then the elevator rises up enough that it catches his face and chops his arms off. And Arnold is standing there just holding these stupid, super unrealistic prosthetic arms that are still in suit sleeves. <laughs> and he yells, <laughs> referencing a party that the villain had brought up earlier in celebration of like killing uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's character. He yells, see you at the party, Richter, and throws the arms. So good. And that's a line that was actually brought to my attention by an old rap fan of mine, self-titled, because that was his nice. that was his favorite Arnold one-liner. And I rewatched the movie many times since then. Every time I come up on that scene now, it makes me think of hanging out with self and cracking up about the absurdity of that moment that he's just standing there. And then like imagining a director like doing multiple takes of him standing there with the stupid rubber arms <laughs> and like delivering the line and then throwing them over the edge. And some PA has to run and like collect the rubber arms and bring them back to him. Or do they have like a bucket full of them 
so that they didn't have to reset. <laughs> You're going to be throwing a lot of arms today, yeah. <laughs> I just love the idea of that. Obviously, I get super excited about conversations like this because uh, this stuff is just so funny to me, these little pop culture nuggets. Okay, number one, um, and this is my favorite for the sheer mileage that Arnold has to travel just to get this idiotic one-liner out. Um, so in the film, The Sixth Day, uh, the entire subject matter of which is about cloning, the villain is like a super, super rich guy. Again, like someone's 55-year-old Republican dad, uh, <laughs> which I'm like, how is this your villain? Um, and they're in like a big penthouse having a fight. And the guy has a clone of himself and Arnold fucks the clone up and the clone is just laying there uh, prone and, and like destroyed and then punches the guy out and the guy goes flying and lands on top of the clone. And Arnold says, when I told you to go fuck yourself, I didn't mean it literally. So <laughs> good. So good. So much setup like an hour and a half of film to get to delivering this one stupid line. I love that one so much because my honest feeling about it is that the person who wrote that screenplay literally came up with that joke first and then <laughs> built, just built the whole movie around a, it. A screenplay around that one joke. Uh, so there you have it. Those are my top five from five down to one Arnold Schwarzenegger one-liners. Well, I'll start with my number five, which is actually the setup to what you just said is your number one. Uh, it comes earlier in the sixth day when that same bad guy says, they're having a conversation and Schwarzenegger says, if you believe that, then you should clone yourself while you're still alive. The bad guy basically says like, why is that? And Arnold says, so you can go fuck yourself. Oh my God, it's so dumb. <laughs> it's so dumb. <laughs> and then later on, they pay it off with your number one, which is just amazing. Yeah. It is really great. I I forgot about that scene. That's so awesome. I had the let off some steam Bennett on on mine too. So I'm going to forego that one because we already kind of talked about it. So I'll talk nice. about one of what I think is one of the most underrated Arnold movies. And that's one from The Running Man. There's a, a, a TV executive named Killian. And Arnold's basically about to kill him. And he's got him in this car thing that normally brings people down to this execution arena. But the the track is gone so you know if he hits this button the guy's gonna die so killian who's strapped into this thing tells arnold drop dead and arnold says i don't do requests oh yeah so good oh my god presses the button and this one's almost a double because he presses the button and killian goes through this uh coca-cola advertisement and blows up and as the ad blows up arnold says well that hit the spot you bastard Drop dead. I don't do requests. Oh my God. Oh my God. That's gold. I forgot about that. So good. Great choice, Jason. That's amazing. I love that. There's one. a lot from that movie. Like I could have done a top five just from that movie. Yeah, alone. no, definitely. I thought about that too. This next one, I almost disqualified it because it doesn't lead to a death, but it's such a good exchange in total recall. He meets this woman in a bar. And she walks up and she's admiring how buff he is. And then she grabs him by the crotch. And she says, what have you been feeding this thing? And Arnold looks her in the eye and says, blondes. Yeah, that is a great scene. I love that line. Really, really And then she good. says something like, I think it's still hungry. 
which is just like one of my favorite exchanges in that movie. Jesus, they sound like lyrics from a Scorpion song. <laughs> um, what am I? At? I have two more left, right? Mm-hmm. I got to go with True Lies on this one. Very end of the movie. Uh, he's he plays a character named Harry Tasker. Oh yeah, yeah. In an insane turn of events, he's all of a sudden flying a Harrier jet in downtown Miami, and the terrorist ends up hanging from one of the missiles. <laughs> and Arnold's character says, "You're fired." Yeah. And then he blasts the missile into the bad guy's helicopter <laughs> filled with his men, and they all explode. It's so good. Oh my god, it is ridiculous too. And I think what's so ridiculous about that punchline is just how much is going on in the scene in that moment because it's actually a really simple punchline and kind of like first stop thinking but the setting is absurd like you said he's a harrier jet like in the middle of the city and and like shoots a guy on a rocket into another aerial war vehicle like in the middle of the city it's it's just absolutely nuts and you know the carnage just rained down and killed multiple people too oh, they yeah, just yeah. don't show that you, on you film, never think about any of that stuff when, when arnold <laughs> is doing what he does my final one, I, I can't even pick one. I feel like this role was just built for the fact that he had this ability to deliver these deadpan one-liners. It's basically every Mr. Freeze line oh, from yeah. Batman and Robin. Yeah, um, definitely. From Everybody Chill, where he freezes, freezes a whole room of people. Uh, he says, like, why don't you cool off? Mm-hmm. Ice to see you, and then always winterize your pipes. I, I think my favorite is let's kick some ice. <laughs> and he says it so <laughs> he says it's so animated. It's so dumb. <laughs> I love it. It's it's fantastic. I, I used to actually sit on YouTube watching the collections of those Mr. Freeze ones because they're so bad and so funny. And his costume is really stupid. Oh, that whole movie is so dumb and so terrible and just like killed Batman for so many years. But <laughs> yeah, totally. That role, if you if you watch it now and you just know what to expect going in, it's such a fun movie to watch with friends. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Movies like that in a weird way kind of age better because yeah. they're so fun to watch with a group. Some real gold in there, man. Thank you for sharing. There is. Um, all right. So let's do top five 80s teen comedies. So I'm, I'm trying to work toward the lists that are like maybe less likely top five lists to have to begin with. For, for my preferences for top five 80s teen comedies, I generally tried to pick things that weren't just awesome 80s films, but also ones that a few that don't have like the same kind of following um, sure. and aren't quite as popular as, uh, you know, some of the bigger ones that people might know. And so to start with, for number five, I want to do um, Secret Admirer. If you can't put your feelings into words, put them in a letter. Listen to this. I don't know how to tell you what I want to tell you. I'll never find the nerve to give you this letter anyway. But I just love you more than words can say. I'm in love. I long to have your arms around me and feel your body against mine. Oh, radical. But be careful where you put the letter. Take your hands off my daughter, Fruit Lips. Oh, it's the mailman. My mother's in there crying. I hope you're happy. I really like it. Michael, she loved it, okay? You look great. My son's in the next car. He's with my daughter. Well, what do you want me to do? Do it right. Oh, 
She loved it. Whoa. Ew, what about you? Me? Oh, I have no standards. I mean, I didn't go out with you. It wasn't good. It was great. You and me, him and her, all together in the same house at the same time. Uh, one more thing, little boy. Oh, God. You get her pregnant, I'll blow you. No sacrifice, no reward. Secret admirer. Well, what do you want me to do? Do it right. X, X, X. O, O, O. X, X. You got to write another one? This summer, learn how to do it right. See Secret Admirer. So this is a movie with uh, C. Thomas Howell, um, who is like such a big 80s star. Uh, he was in Red Dawn. He was in The Outsiders. He's the kid in The Outsiders who ends up having to dye his hair because he, he accidentally kills somebody with a knife in a confrontation. Yeah, just like really big 80s teen idol who was all over like Tiger Beat magazine covers. Um, and who's still out there acting now doing like Skinamax flicks for the last like <laughs> 25, 30 years. Yeah. Basically from like the nineties on, he pretty much only showed up in like shark skin suits with like slicked hair, like being a sleaze ball in like a movie that had way too many tits in it for like the concept <laughs> of the film. So secret admirer is a high school version of sorts of a Cyrano de Bergerac story, but with in writing as opposed to like, delivering speeches um and so c thomas howell's character falls in love from afar with the blonde beautiful heroine who as it turns out was um kelly preston um john travolta's wife who recently died uh rest in power kelly preston she's kind of famous for just having an unreal body anyway secret admirer I think it's actually Lori Laughlin, yeah, who who also recently made news, yeah, when she proved like on with pen and paper what white privilege looks like and got herself caught paying to get her kids into a school that like ostensibly any like productive intelligent high school kid could have gotten themselves into. It's just like, dude, what the fuck? Not even like Harvard or Princeton or something like that. And then pleading not guilty. Like just, oh my God, lady. I'm, I'm not surprised that you ended up in jail. Anyway, in the 80s, um, she plays C. Thomas Howell's best friend, who is supposed to be not so attractive in the film. But that was another funny thing about 80s teen comedies. When there was a female character who was supposed to be like the unassuming, not lead, not attractive person, you could always see right through it that she was actually smoking hot and he yeah. just like put like a dorky outfit on her. Um, <laughs> that was also really popular in nineties films, but yeah. So in this one, she's really smart and she helps see Thomas Howell write really romantic love letters to steal away Kelly Preston from her slick back feathered haired, like sports car driving jock boyfriend, Steve, of course, his name is fucking Steve. Steve's. It's always Steve. And naturally, you know, the trajectory of the movie is such that uh, C. Thomas Howell's character realizes that the love of his life has been helping him woo this really shallow, hot, popular prom queen blonde. Awesome movie. And, and also really touches on like an 80s theme that I think, you know, like many 80s themes did not age well. Uh, it's just the suggestion that like blonde is somehow more beautiful than brunette 
like the lighter mm-hmm. you look, the better looking you are. Um, and there's so much of that weird darkness buried in 80s comedies and teen comedies. There's a really dark one in um, 16 Candles, which is not on my list because I tried to pick stuff that was further under the radar than that. But the scene where Molly Ringwald tells her friend about their family missing the birthday and she wished that she would, on her 16th birthday, get a car and do it on a cloud with a guy without getting pregnant. And there's a turn of phrase in the way she delivers the unfortunate news to her best friend at their locker about her family missing the birthday where her friend misinterprets what she's saying and thinks that she's saying she wishes that she could get a trans am and then have sex with a black guy on a cloud. And her friend is like, black guy, like all shocked at the idea. (laughs) And a pink trans am in the driveway with a ribbon around it. And some incredibly gorgeous guy that you meet like in France. You do it on a cloud without getting pregnant or herpes. I don't need the cloud. I'm just a pink trans am in the guy, right? A black one. A black guy. A black trans am, a pink guy. <laughs> uh, it's a really dark and disturbing scene. Uh, and for me, as like a, a young biracial black kid who grew up in all white neighborhoods in the 80s, that scene was like deeply traumatizing. So much of the 80s are like that. Like there's all this silliness and goofiness and like, kind of nostalgic, almost period piece 50s style stuff happening that actually has really, really dark social undertones to them. And some of my favorite 80s teen comedies are like that, um, in part for like the the way they aged, uh, because they're just like oh, yeah. weird artifacts of, of social pop culture issues. 16 Candles also has the Asian racism too that's Oh yeah, that right one's just so front. blatant. It's, it's outrageous. Yeah. Um, all right, so that was number five on my list, um, Secret Admirer. Really fun flick. Number four, uh, Just One of the Guys. Cherry's a girl who wanted to be taken seriously. I am going to be a reporter. But her body kept getting in the way. Pretty girl, you could be a model. Sometimes I just wish I were a guy. But, you know, the male body needs sex at all times. It's a living hell. So to prove to the men in her life she had a mind, Terry decided to try life as a guy. How do I look? Dashing. My zipper's open. That was the dashing part. What a fox. Dresses like Elvis Costello. Looks like the karate kid. I'm gonna get him. Today's woman has the freedom to be just as sick and perverted as us guys. She learned their secrets. So the concept of the film is that a young woman who's a really technically proficient writer, uh, but maybe lacking a little bit in a sense of whimsy and creativity, enters a high school writing contest, the prize for which is a job at the local paper that you can start like right after you graduate because it's all high school seniors. And at her upper middle class affluent high school in the fancy zip code, she doesn't get picked as a submission for this contest that the local paper is having by her writing teacher and she gets super bent out of shape about it and then goes on a mission to prove that she's been mistreated just because she's a woman who happens to be smoking hot. She dresses up as a guy and enrolls in a different school in a less fancy zip code and is terrorized by amazing 80s villain William Zubka who headlines the new Netflix show Cobra Kai fantastically. Uh, really amazing show. If you're not already watching it, you should. It's so fun. 
it, it's it's 80 sugar candy like you'll you'll absolutely love it fuck stranger things cobra kai <laughs> is like amazing 80 sugar candy and so much more self-aware of how stupid the content is but all this to say this young woman ends up going on this huge emotional journey of personal growth and falls in love with like the the class nerd and turns him into a cool guy in the process ultimately revealing to him that she's fallen in love with him and she, he's like i'm not gay and like super upset when she kisses him at their prom in front of everyone and then she pulls him aside and is like i'm a girl and he doesn't believe her and then she exposes a very impressive set of breasts which i would say is probably like the the thrilling climax of that film um fantastic somewhat under the radar 80s teen comedy easily one of my favorites that's a good pick thank you uh then for number three classic um that people from like 50 60 years old down to their 30s who went back and dug this one up love uh fast times at richmond high oh Um, yes amazing early cameron crow material before say anything and jerry Maguire and all that shit you got a Cameron Crowe screenplay uh, for just a really fun, raunchy, kind of edgy teen comedy um, full of memorable characters like Mike Damone, who bails on Jennifer Jason Lee when he gets her pregnant, uh, forcing her into a situation where she grows up much more quickly than she expects um, and has an abortion. So like some really dark subject matter, but just also some like really funny setups and some great justice getting doled out uh, with one of my favorite ever post-film updates on the characters. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, it's really, really awesome. Uh, and then naturally, even though I despise this guy uh, in 2020 and, and really for like the last 25, 30 years. Yeah, I know you're going to say. Uh, Sean Penn's Jeff Spicoli character. So iconic. So awesome. Anyone who's listening, do yourself a favor. Don't ever read anything that idiot writes. He thinks somehow <laughs> that he's like uh, a literary voice. He's a pretentious douchebag. And I want to remind everybody that he somehow avoided being canceled after beating the shit out of Madonna when they were married in the 80s. Fuck Sean Penn. Yep. That guy is trash. That said, Spicoli is a classic character. And it's, it's tough to reconcile. Um, but the performance... And the character, uh, for me, stand on their own, um, despite my disdain for modern day Sean Penn. What a douchebag! Even John John Oliver is like using him to make jokes because because <laughs> he he's such a easy punchline. Naturally, Fast Times at Richmond High. I kind of think no '80s teen comedy list is complete without that one. Agreed. Number two, and this is another one that's like a little under the radar that I absolutely love. And if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend you go dig it up. Uh, Mischief. Is there anyone you like? Marilyn McCauley. And she doesn't know I exist. You got your work cut out. Hey, watch the tongue. I bet you I can get you Marilyn in 30 days. Rule number one, make eye contact every chance you get. Lower your eyes a little bit. Gives you a smoldering type of look. You okay, Jonathan? You seen Rebel Without a Cause? Twice. Oh, this is one that I have not heard of. Oh, man. 
I'm doing you a favor tonight, but definitely you are. Go, I'm writing all these down. Definitely go and look that up. You're gonna end up writing to me uh, and, and being like, "Yo, man, thank you for that recommendation. Mischief was awesome. It's an '80s film that's a '50s period piece that really delivers on like the schlock and hokiness of 1950s culture." And Kelly Preston does an amazing full frontal nudity scene in it that you'll, your jaw will drop and you'll be like, wow, (laughs) modern day, like sexiness could definitely take some clues from, from that scene alone. It's got like the classic structure where a nerd gets befriended by a new kid from out of town who shows up on a motorcycle in a leather jacket and awakens this nerd to being more confident and staking his claim in the world. Really, really fun journey to watch the nerd character blossom. Um, an awesome 80s actor who did end up going on to have an acting career into the 90s and, and now is in like CSI type shows and stuff like that. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, um, but if you look him up, he is still active and now looks like a, like a square-jawed, serious guy. <laughs> who might show up as like a cop on like SVU or something. Mischief, highly recommend it. Awesome recommendations, if, if for no other reason than the fact that a lot of people have not seen that one. It's overlooked and delicious. My number one teen 80s comedy is Three O'Clock High. I guess I should have known from the beginning it was going to be one of those days. His name is... Jerry Mitchell. Hi, Jerry. 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 Hi, I'm, I'm Jerry Mitchell. I'm with the school paper. <laughs> he just met the new kid in school. The guy's the closest thing to Charlie Manson ever seen at Weaver. Now, we're going to have a fight today after school. He's got six hours to get out of it. It's been quite a morning, Jerry. You can say that again. Three o'clock high. Stars Casey Samasco. I, I guess probably his most famous role is, is as a Snake's sidekick in Stand By Me. So Casey Samasco is a square, popular, but um, dorky high school senior who runs the, stu- the student store in his high school and also writes for the student newspaper at the school a classic 80s villain who looks like a 45 year old man uh, but is somehow (laughs) still in high school Uh, Buddy Ravel shows up at his school with this massive reputation for stabbing teachers and like committing rape and just insane stuff that today would never even fly as like a character dimension can't get away with that now (laughs) no absolutely not Uh, shows up at the school and Casey Zamasco's character, Jerry, ends up getting uh, prodded by his own best friend into interviewing Buddy Ravel for the school newspaper. And then having been given uh, one bit of advice about how to conduct the interview to not touch Buddy Ravel because he's got a weird thing about being touched. He inadvertently and thoughtlessly touches Buddy Ravel almost immediately when they have an awkward encounter in the bathroom. Um, and then the entire movie takes place as Casey Samasco stares at the clock all day long, waiting for three o'clock to come after being threatened 
to have a fist fight at the end of day um, in the school parking lot. Um, really super fun 80s teen comedy, rife with adventure and great laughs. The guy who made that movie really should have ended up being like a John Hughes or something. That is like a flawless 80s teen comedy. Um, and it frustrates me that so few people know about it. And I'm psyched to hear that you did. So that's my top five. That's a great pick and a great top five. There's a couple there, Mischief, both Mischief and uh, Secret Admirer that I instantly added to my list to go seek out and watch. Awesome. Hope you enjoy. We only had one of the same, which is cool. Uh, the one that I had on my list was Fast Times at Ridgemont High, obviously. It's classic. Uh, recently came up on one of my other lists as one of my favorite films directed by females. Oh, right. Yeah. I'll go from like my most popular to my least popular. Okay. So most popular, number four, Breakfast Club. It is now 7.06. You have exactly eight hours and 54 minutes to ponder the error of your ways. Any questions? Yeah. Does Barry Manilow know that you raid his wardrobe? A brain, a beauty, a jock, a rebel, and a recluse. I can't believe this is really happening to me. Before this day is over, They'll break the rules. Chicks cannot hold a smoke. That's what it is. Bear their souls. I'm a nymphomaniac. Are your parents aware of this? Take some chances. Being bad feels pretty good. Huh? And touch each other in a way they never dreamed possible. Why'd you do that? Because I knew you wouldn't. The Breakfast Club. They came in as stereotypes, but... By the time they leave, you realize these characters are more than that. When all the movies that came before it kind of just said, hey, you're a jock or you're a nerd. And that's kind of what you were. Yeah. So I really love that. Also touches on some difficult issues like violence at home and uh, Brian who brings a gun to school. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. That's so funny. I, I forgot about that stuff. You're right. Yeah. It's like really heavy for these times. But back then, like. This kid had a gun in his locker and he got fucking detention, right? Yeah. It's just times were different. I mean, it turned 85. out to be a flare gun, but yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But even today, like, you'd, you'd be... Oh, you'd get expelled. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, let's see. Number three on my list. This one is one that I don't think a lot of people have seen. It's, it's from 1982 as well, called Last American Virgin. And now let's all get serious. <laughs> familiar with this one yeah i can't believe you brought that one up wow holy shit i never hear anyone talk about that great pick last american virgin is kind of funny because when i first saw it it was when netflix would send you discs in the mail mm, <laughs> and i yeah. had net this was the very last movie that i ever got from netflix in the mail and when i canceled my subscription i never sent it back so i still have wow, this last american virgin story. that alone is a great DVD. story let alone like picking such an obscure, awesome 80s teen comedy. The thing that stands out to me about this one is, it's tough to say because I'm going to spoil it, but 
if you've never seen Last American Virgin and you want to see it, just skip forward like 30 seconds. The ending is really sad. And I remember watching it and thinking, that's how they're going to end this movie. But it was really realistic in the way that they ended it. Last American Virgin, fantastic movie. Yeah, definitely. Good pick, man. Number two, I'm going to go with Patrick Dempsey before he was McDreamy. Oh, yes. In Can't Buy Me Love. Can't Buy Me Love. Cindy Mancini and Ronald Miller live on the same street, but they're in totally different worlds. Wouldn't you like to be popular? Cindy's hot, Ronald's not, but he's got a plan that could change all that. I want to rent you. Rent me? Yeah. You pretend you like me, and we go out for just a few weeks. Just going out with me is not going to make you popular. Well, I have a thousand dollars. It says it will. Now, the biggest social transformation in history. No hand-holding, no kissing, and I get my lunch hour off. Is about to begin. Okay, Donald, we're ready. Listen to one last thing. Yeah. My name is Ronald, not Donald. Oh, I thought you were going to say Loverboy, because I love that one, man. Most of the time in movies like this, you have the typical nerd who wants to get popular. So in this one, he uh, exchanges with the main female lead. I forget her name, but he basically pays her $1,000 to be his girlfriend, to act as his girlfriend for a month. So she does, and you think the whole movie is going to be about him getting popular, but he gets popular like instantly. But the arc comes where he just turns into a straight-up douchebag, and she is kind of the moral compass, like, hey, you got to be yourself. You know, it's, stop being this person you're not. And it's it's got a really great ending, too. I love Can't Buy Me Love. Great yeah. movie. That's a really good pick, too. Number one is possibly one of the funniest movies I've ever seen, and I think it's severely underlooked. It's a John Cusack movie who was in a ton of really great 80s films. Yeah, I'm wondering which one you're going to say because there's a bunch that I love. And it's, I mean, the director's got such a great name. His his name is Savage Steve Holland, and the movie is Better Off Dead. Does it ever feel like everyone's got more going than you do? Oops. That everyone is smart. So you're Al Myers, kid? Yes, I am. You look pretty stupid to me. Thank you. You say the best skier in town just ran off with your girlfriend? Even your younger brother does better than you do? And that nobody even cares? That broke up with me. Oh, that's nice. Well, you might be right. But remember one thing. I haven't even been to New York City. Nobody was ever better off dead. The truth is, I can out-ski you any day of the week. Oh, really? Yeah, you want to race, I'll take you on any day, sucker. Go that way, really fast. If something gets in your way, turn. That's a, that's a great one. That was actually on my list, and I replaced it with Secret Admirer because I wanted to put something in that I didn't think you would have come across. Well, I'm glad that you put yours on there because now I get to check it out and I get to talk about Better Off Dead. This is such a weird movie. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like an alternate universe where you can just stand there and have hamburgers like just turn into singing claymation characters. It's so bizarre. It's very trippy. And it's all about this dude who is sad that his girlfriend broke up with him and he's obsessed with her and he's just trying to kill himself and he can't make it happen. And it's like getting over this. 
It's also got Diane Franklin in there. I think this is my second Diane Franklin movie on the list. <laughs> she's fa- yeah, she's in Last American Virgin. She's fantastic. She's beautiful. Better Off Dead. If you've never seen it, don't go in thinking this is supposed to be realistic. You'll have just the most amazing time. Like there's two Japanese guys who just drive around in a car and the only English they've learned is from Howard Cosell. Oh and they yeah, just I forgot about <laughs> Drive that. up to the so stoplights and they just do Howard Cosell things out of a bullhorn in their car. It's so good. That's so good. I forgot about that. It's awesome. Yeah, because because Lane Lane Myers, I think is his name. Lane Myers, yeah. Yeah, he's always like finding himself in a situation where he's going to race with them. Yeah, and he always fucks up the same guy's car. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, you're right, man. That's so good. You know what? He's another one of those directors that I think really should have ended up blowing up and like having a much, much bigger career than he did. I agree. He did One Crazy Summer with Cusack, too. And for some reason, Cusack just shits on this movie. He hated Better Off Dead. What? Yeah, and I, I don't understand it. Like, he just maligns Dude, it and the director. he skied the K2. <laughs> he skied the K2. Come on. Oh, his friends. His friends are wild in that movie, too. It's just a great cast of characters. Uh, I got a couple of other 80s teen things just to throw out there. I don't know if you've seen them, but they're definitely worth checking out if you hadn't. They're not on my top five list. Uh, Zapped with Scott Bayo. Oh, I just watched that like three months ago. Oh, no way. Yeah, that's a really obscure one that is so weird and funny. It's so weird. He's growing weed in his school science class. Yeah, and and he has a telekinesis that he mainly uses <laughs> to create nudity. To lift up skirts and take bras off. Yeah, it's. I mean, obviously, it's another movie that doesn't really age all that well uh, for today, but it is a zany time capsule of a movie. Um, so there's that one, uh, and then How I Got into College. Who I haven't seen that one. Oh yeah, write that down. Really, really good one. Um, it's it's basically about the journey of like a a slacker who has a really big heart wanting to follow his high school crush to college but she's way smarter than him and gets him to like a really tough college to get into huh i'll have to check that one out the only one i didn't talk about that i want to is a movie called hiding out have you ever seen oh, hiding yeah. out john crier yep awesome john crier the only reason i didn't put it on there is because you said uh teen coming of age and he's like 27 in that yeah well i mean the rest of the characters though because it's one of those ones where he looks young so he passes him off as a kid himself off as a kid and he, he calls himself Maxwell yeah. after a coffee can. Totally. And he dyes the sides of his hair blonde. It's so good. He looks so weird. One of the other reasons I didn't put it on is because he's like 27 and he starts to have a relationship with like a 17-year-old. It just comes off as super weird. Oh, shit. Yeah, I totally forgot that. John Cryer, how did you end up with a network TV hit with that under your belt? Different times back then. Plus, he was the second worst person on that show. Mm-hmm. 